Coming up on this week's WAC podcast, we're going to talk to Elliot Charles, the director of athletics at Chicago State University. He has been a very busy man in his first 10 months as AD as he has hired four new head coaches. Four new head coaches, and we're also going to talk to Gia Pack about difficulties being away from home now that she's over in Slovakia playing professional basketball, plus the differences between basketball out there and here in the United States. That's all ahead on the WAC podcast. Today's episode of the WAC podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference. Now here are your hosts, Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil. Welcome into the WAC podcast. Eric Danner alongside me, Rachel V. Hill here. Eric, it is snowing in Colorado, the earliest snow in 20 years. <laughs> uh, Rachel, I mean, we're supposed to be in the studio today. It's it's September 8th for crying out loud. Uh, we did not anticipate that we would not be able to get in because of a winter storm warning. Uh, yesterday, it's 95 degrees and I'm playing golf. And then today, uh, they're saying uh, where I live, 8 to 12 inches of snow potentially. 8 to 12, that's like insane. In the Denver metro area, they're saying 5 to 8, which just blows my mind. Although there is some fires up where I went to school in Fort Collins, Colorado, around Colorado State. So maybe the snow will hopefully help, uh, you know, put those fires out because I've seen lots of videos and it's like a completely orange sky and very cloudy. Yeah, definitely. uh, We we always say that around here, we could use the moisture, but that is definitely the case. And that's where we get most of the moisture. Moisture in Colorado tends to be from snow rather than rain. But, uh, you know, it's supposed to be in the 70s by the weekend. So I think uh, hopefully this is just a blip on the radar, Rach. Hopefully, yeah, today and tomorrow we got some snow flurries in the Colorado-Denver area. Well, Eric, let's get back to sports. NCAA committee pushes for the November 25th start date for basketball. What are the odds that we see basketball starting November 25th, Eric? You know, again, I'm feeling optimistic, Rach. I mean, it seems that things are trending up. We saw, uh, you know, uh, the original season was supposed to start, I believe, November 6th. So, I mean, it's not that far or November 10th from where the uh, original start date is. So a couple of weeks, I know uh, all of our coaches and players would rather see uh, that, uh, you know, want to get all their games in, but uh, November 25th, right around Thanksgiving, uh, you know, so it seems like uh, I, this is potentially doable. Uh, barring, you know, any uh, uh, more outbreaks, you know, it, it seems to be uh, numbers are, are trending in, in a good way. So, and I know our schools now are, I don't know if they're scrambling rates, but uh, for non-conference games, they they schedule their own, so they're uh, they might be in a position where they're they might be uh, reaching out to some teams. Maybe they have some teams reaching out to them to try to get some dates uh, with that November twenty-fifth start date. A lot of rumors kind of circulating. Obviously, nothing set in stone by any means, but a lot of rumors going around that possibly conference season could look like bubbles, which you know that's a very interesting approach to it. And could it work? You know, that uh, I guess that remains to be seen, Rach. But, yeah, that is uh, one of the things we've been hearing is, especially with some of the bigger conferences doing the bubbles and maybe potentially the WAC. Uh, I know it's one of those things that everything's on the table right now. Uh, it would depend, you know, how many games, how, how long, all, all those good kind of things. But uh, the other thing impacting the WAC with, with this talk of a November 25th start date is, is now the Pac-12 could potentially be back in business. They came out and said they weren't doing any contests until January 1st. Well, now uh, all of a sudden, Rachel, uh, Andy Katz had a story where uh, there's teams looking to schedule 
uh, Pac-12 opponents, which obviously they're in our geographic footprint, and that could be uh, beneficial potentially to to some uh, schools in the WAC as they put their schedules together. Would be great for the WAC. And I thought even when they did it, it was kind of a bold statement to say January 1st when not a lot of other conferences had come out saying that because you want to be able to play if you're able to with a lot of the other conferences and uh, Pac-12 obviously having a lot of schools that play all around. So um, it doesn't surprise me that they're moving back their uh, statement on possibly playing January 1st and starting and now moving back to November 25th. And then this year, the the conference schedule is, is scheduled to start uh, in the WAC uh, that last week, December first week, January. Kind of a, a weird year. It's a leap year, so the the schedule is a little different than the nor- where it starts a little bit earlier. So that that's also a good sign. Maybe we can get our conference schedule in. But like you said, I mean, there are uh, potential contingency plans always in place, and we, we don't know uh, just so that everybody uh, gets that clear that we. Uh, we don't have any uh, inside info on on those uh, bubbles and those kind of things. So it's um, it's looking good for for basketball. So that that uh, that I'm happy about, and which also would uh, would of course mean uh, other winter sports. Other winter sports, we would love to see you know swimming and divings in there, indoor track and field possibly, and then obviously the spring sports too. I love that you say we have no idea because truly we do not like everything is changing constantly. Like I'm sure everybody's pretty aware of at this point, but we literally have no clue what could happen. And maybe even if we did hear something by the end of the week, it'd be totally different. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, staying with basketball, Rachel, you you have a chance to talk to, as we record this, you're going to talk to him later today. By the time people hear this, you'll have already talked to Milan Aqua. The Aquaman from uh, California Baptist University, WAC Player of the Year this past year. He announced he's uh, going to the NBA draft. Second year in a row he's done that, but uh, he also has announced that, that this is it. He's not going back to CBU if for some reason he doesn't get drafted or signed or or what have you. So that'll be an interesting conversation uh, with Milan today. Great conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I know he's still in school, so I'm not sure if he's trying to get a master's or if he's uh, still doing his undergrad. So I'm excited to talk to him about that. But yeah, his preparation now for the NBA draft and, you know, how that's possibly changed his plans with COVID and everything and uh, what his workouts are looking like. We're just going to hop on and chat for a little bit. So it'll be a great conversation. Well, and the thing with Milan, he initially went to Washington State and and played with Markel Fultz, who was the number one pick in the draft. Also, uh, we we saw two years ago at CBU, his good friend Alonzo Ball was uh, president at some of the games we played uh, basketball with. So I wonder how much you know he, he's talking to some of his friends that are now in the NBA about uh, this whole process. It's true. I'm gonna have to bring up Alonzo Ball. I forgot about that little fun fact. <laughs> Yeah, the potential number one pick this year might be Lonzo's brother. So there's there's all kinds of tie-ins with the ball. Maybe you can get LeVar uh, <laughs> talk about LeVar and what he thinks about him. What a uh, interesting conversation that one would be. I don't know if he would talk too much about Milan. <laughs> Probably uh, quite a bit, a bit about his kids. <laughs> <laughs> or himself. Yeah, uh, the, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette uh, had a nice uh, feature on Nick Gonzalez from New Mexico State. Of course, we've talked a lot about Nick on this uh, program over the last six months, and he was the seventh overall pick in the Major League Baseball draft in June. And we, we've kind of discussed uh, on, on the show and with Adam Young, who we've had on a few times, about uh, when it might be when he when he gets that chance to play 
with the pirates and the, the conventional wisdom, Rach, is that it was going to be at least a couple of years because that's usually, you know, you have to go through the minor league system for for a couple of years before you get that chance. But with this being an odd year, uh, with only sixty games, and uh, he, he might have potential to uh, to make the team uh, potentially even this year. Great potential. One thing I really loved about that article, too, was Nick talking about how he never really looked at the rankings because they were never really nice to him. And he's beat the odds on all of it. And, uh, you know, he talked about kind of the struggles of now moving up. And he talks about how they shift a lot and he's having to learn new positions. And once he kind of started figuring that out and not being so much in his own head, he started to see improvements. So that's really great to hear for Nick. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, he's been a, a good friend to the uh, Whack All Access show, so we we wish the best for Nick there. Another guy uh, with Whack Roots, uh, Reese Hoskins from the Philadelphia Phillies. We mentioned him last week, Rachel, that he was starting to heat up, and and that uh, heat continues uh, this past week as as Reese is for the Philadelphia Phillies, their first baseman. He he had another fantastic week at the plate uh, for the Philadelphia Phillies, eight homers in his last thirteen games. I looked up his stats from when he was at Sacramento State, and he ranked 19th in the NCAA his final year, and he had 12 homers over all yep. that season. So now he's got eight homers in his last 13 games. <laughs> well, the the amazing thing when we were just talking about Nick Gonzalez, he had 12 home runs this year, and you know what was it, 30 games? It wasn't anywhere near close to a full season. He had as many home runs as Reese Hoskins did his uh, final year in the wax. That tells you the kind of power that Nick Gonzalez possesses as well. Last week, Rachel, I don't think we got to this, so I apologize if we do. Uh, Seattle University hired a new tennis coach, Christina Hollander, uh, comes to Seattle U, so congratulations to her on getting that job. She comes from uh, UNLV San Jose State of of the Mountain West, and uh, certainly uh, Seattle U, uh, uh, a, a good program in tennis. Absolutely. Yeah. She was a four-year letter winner at UNLV and was the second Mountain West Conference Women's Tennis Player in history to be named all-conference in singles and doubles each of her four seasons. Huge, huge pickup by Seattle U as their new head coach. And she had uh, spent the past two years as an assistant coach at San Jose State. Uh, This week, we're going to continue our look back at the decade in men's soccer. Uh, Goalkeeper wins is uh, one of the topics in Seattle U. Uh, No surprise here, Rachel, uh, with the top two uh, goalkeepers with the most wins. Josh Adachi, as uh, we we heard from uh, Roland Vargas a few years ago, called him the flying Hawaiian. He he is uh, has the most wins along with Shane Hayworth. Uh, with 28 wins this past uh, decade for Seattle U. It's so crazy to think about that Seattle U program and such a powerhouse that they are. Uh, I mean, all of the uh, men's soccer teams in the WAC really are like fantastic, but Seattle U just has something to it. Pete Fewing has done an incredible job with that program and really creating fine talent out of that team. And speaking of, of that, they, they are now ranked. Uh, College yeah. Soccer News came out with their preseason rankings, even though the season has been suspended for a great majority of uh, soccer schools, uh, there's still a handful playing. So they decided, well, let's uh, go ahead and come out with our rankings. And Seattle, you ranked number 16 in the country. That's no surprise there at all. Uh, Pete Fewing's done a great job in all of his years there at Seattle U, but it doesn't surprise me with uh, how their season went last year and years previous and years previous too. So no, no surprise there. 
And they uh, they cite uh, the return of junior Declan McGlynn, who had 10 goals, 8 assists last year. Sophomore James Morris, who was the WAC freshman of the year. Uh, Noe Meza is back for the Red Hawks. And uh, a formidable balanced attack, uh, Hal Uteritz, a two-year starter. Jesse Ortiz, who played in 20 contests last year. They are all back. So, uh, yeah, it. Uh, whenever Power we do house. get uh, back to playing soccer again, Rach, uh, Seattle U men's soccer are going to be a team to be reckoned with. Always powerhouse right there, Pete Viewing. And don't forget about Akili Kasim, uh, the goalkeeper who uh, had the outstanding uh, tournament last year and, and helped the Red Hawks win the WAC tournament. So he, they, uh, Pete Viewing definitely with a lot of players back. Uh, speaking of back, when we come back, we're going to talk to Elliot <laughs> Charles, Rachel. Former, uh, he was most recently at Clemson, took over at Chicago State November 19th. And uh, boy, you talk about a busy person the past uh, 10 months or so, uh, nothing like becoming an AD and then having a pandemic and then uh, hiring four new head coaches uh, during that time as well and starting up a, a brand new men's soccer program. A huge agenda for Elliot Charles down there at Chicago State, and it seems like he's done it all so gracefully and handling everything. One of my favorite parts of that conversation that people will listen to is he says that his expectations, he really just had to like let them all go out the window, and that's actually probably his saving grace. So uh, great conversation. I know everybody's going to love it. All right. That's uh, coming up next on the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our sponsors of the WAC Podcast, Hercules Tires and Adidas. Now, back to Eric and Rachel. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner and Rachel B. Hill. We're now joined by Elliot Charles, the Director of Athletics at Chicago State University. Elliot, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Rachel, for having me. Uh, excited to be here. Elliot, it's been quite a, a 2020 here. Uh, obviously, a lot going on in, in the world. Uh, first off, what's going on at Chicago State? I know with all of our different campuses in the WAC, uh, seems like everybody has kind of something different going on. Do you have students back on campus? Uh, what, what are some of the uh, restrictions or, or what, what are some of the precautions that are being taken right now for uh, students and student athletes uh, as we head into the fall here? Definitely. So we do have students back. Um, <clears throat> we have almost 100% of our students back. We have uh, some that have opted to stay within their locales for the fall 2020 semester until we have more clarity on kind of what's taking place for winter and spring sports. Um, CSU has welcomed students back in general to campus. Uh, we, we have some great initiatives going on, a lot of energy uh, going on here on campus. Uh, but related to precautions, we did start a phased in approach back early August, uh, where we're testing students uh, weekly. Um, and, and so far we've had, uh, you know, we've been, we've been fortunate. We've been blessed and fortunate uh, to see uh, that our students are healthy. Uh, we, we have people uh, transitioning back to conditioning activity um, and finishing out physicals over this week. And then our staff has been operating uh, in our spaces here for about, uh, about six weeks. So we're, we're kind of in what looks like an augmented full operation. Um, and we'll continue to uh, be in this kind of a uh, place um, here for the next uh, several months. How are the student athletes handling the different precautions that the school is taking? I think it's a challenge. I, I think um, as we listen to them and as I hear them uh, or even see them here on campus, it's, uh, it's different because, number one, you come back out of a commitment to the institution, right? You want to show that you're, you're all in and you want to show that you do take um, your study seriously. So we had a lot of students that wanted to make the commitment to, to, to really be part of the on-campus environment. 
Um, but when, you know, we look across, um, you know, the, the conference and we look across our, our region or here in the city, we, we do see everybody having to start, stop with activity. And for us, we've been slow to start. Uh, and so, you know, we have, we have competitors. We have competitors. I think a great example of that is our basketball programs, um, our volleyball program, tennis. We have some students that really are chomping at the bit to, to, to get their conditioning back, but they're hearing us. We're, we're, you know, our, our, sports, our sports medicine staff has been really communica communicative and they've done a phenomenal job at explaining why we're taking the precautions. So I think the students and their families appreciate that. Uh, we've, we've tried to be as transparent as possible. Elliot, uh, you've been very busy uh, this off season. I guess we, we've been off for about six months from sports. You, you hired a number of new coaches. I imagine that presents its own challenges when you're hiring new coaches during a pandemic. Maybe, you know, you don't have the opportunity to bring people on campus, those kind of things. What kind of challenges did you have hiring some of those new head coaches you have? Well, I, I think um, I, I, that's a lot to unpack. You know, uh, I think that's a soundbite within itself, uh, hiring <laughs> coaches in a pandemic, right? Like, uh, I think the one thing that it's cost me has been my hair, my hair pigment, right? My hair's turning <laughs> white. <laughs> uh, but uh, the challenges that it presents are, it really is rooted in one major challenge, which is uh, making new staff feel like they have a partner, right? Like, you have to be available. You have to be consistent. You have to be approachable. You know, how do you, how do you have an open door policy in the middle of a pandemic, right? That can be a podcast in itself, you know, furnishing open door, right? Uh, and, and so I think the one thing that I've done, uh, my wife has to remind me sometimes that it, it all comes with a bit of a cost and balance, uh, but, but being available, being available, uh, you know, just, just for the emotional and mental well-being of that coach. Uh, when you talk about first-time head coaches, uh, that adds another layer of support that's needed. Um, and then expressing to the support staff, the admin staff, what the, what the needs are and what the timelines look like, uh, that you, you have to over-communicate those things with new coaches. With our existing coaches and programs, they're used to a pattern of, of getting things done, right? Uh, being predictable, um, and it helps them communicate with the students. So when, when we talk about the time and attention being spent with new coaches, I'm then looking at the additional time and attention that's needed um, to help our existing coaches uh, make their programs uh, more robust. And so that alone, it's in, within itself, has been a challenge as well. So I think at the end of the day, as being a first-year athletic director, I'm taking a step back and saying, uh, what's the theme here? Relationships and communication, but to what end, right? To be prepared. And at the end of the day, I remind coaches that our success is defined by how we're supporting our students academically right now and and, and how we're supporting their health and, and the student mental uh, uh, well-being. So I think I remind them that they're, they're successful thus far for the year um, and based on the student outcomes. Were any of those coaches able to come on campus or was everything done via Zoom? That's, that's a, another phenomenal question. Um, <laughs> you guys have a bunch of them today. Uh, and so it was unique. Every search um, was done based on the environmental conditions that were, that, um, that were existing at the time, right? Um, we didn't come in we went to the search with a plan, uh, you know, a pre-formulated plan where we were going to say, oh, you know, this is the way we're doing it. I think we afforded a couple of the coaches an opportunity to come visit during the process. Um, one or two couldn't. One was local. Uh, and so one had already seen the facilities, knew what they were getting into. So at the end of the day, the majority of it was handled virtually. Um, and I, I just hope, you know, for the viability of all athletic programs uh, in the future, 
um, that we look at how that was done and um, I, it's not ideal. And so, you know, I, I do think it was fortunate that we were able to do it. I, I just know that it's not the, the ideal way uh, to get it done. So yeah, they were virtual for the most part. We're talking with Elliot Charles, Director of Athletics at Chicago State University. One of those new coaches you brought in, Trevor Banks, to start a program from scratch, men's soccer at Chicago State. What is it about men's soccer that uh, you, you thought was a good fit for Chicago State and also uh, bringing in Coach Banks? What, uh, what made you think he's, he's the man to start this program? Well, you said starting a program from scratch, right? So I was that kid where I got to experience me and my many cousins. My dad was one of 12 kids my grandmother um, making scratch recipes on Saturday morning, right? <laughs> and every grandkid had their role. My one cousin, his role was to stir the, the, the juice for all of us to drink while we were kneading bread. <laughs> it's funny when you think back at it. And so I would liken uh, this situation, starting program from scratch uh, to my grandmother's recipes because actually we restarted men's soccer here, right? Um, we had a pretty good history of men's soccer in the past and and that recipe uh, we felt aligned with um, being able to offer competitive D1 programs. And so uh, when we look at Chicago and we look at the, you know, the feeder schools and the potential prospective student athlete populations, we thought there was a major opportunity here with USA Soccer being here and the connections to the USA Soccer, uh, the Soccer Foundation, along with just the presence, the club soccer presence and how club is evolving, pro soccer out here, the number of institutions that offer soccer on the men's side, and then looking at the potential opportunities within the WAC um, and D1 broadly um, as soccer programs have been, uh, you know, have shifted and been redefined across the nation. So we, we just saw, we just saw some potential opportunity for, for some great, um, you know, uh, first time in college and transfer student athletes that were looking for soccer opportunities. And we said, okay, with someone as unique as Trevor Banks, um, who comes recommended up from the highest levels of soccer for him to reach out and say, you know, I couldn't think of a better place um, to build a program because of the story that he brings growing up in Louisiana and, and the, the, you know, the, the, the plight he's had and, and the experience he's had in trying to grow as a men's soccer coach. Uh, we thought that our values aligned with him and we thought there's a major opportunity uh, here for, for men's soccer on our campus. You were named director of intercollegiate athletics on November 19th of last year. So about 10 months ago, was adding men's soccer something you knew you wanted to do from the get-go? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't give myself uh, that much credit. Um, <laughs> I would say that uh, it definitely was taking a look at opportunities uh, um, to to grow our sports offerings, our sports program sponsorship. And, I, you know, I, I can't necessarily say we're done either. Right. Like uh, at the end of the day, uh, we're going to continue to evolve. And I was definitely looking for those opportunities as, as we were developing our plan of approach uh, for, for the department here. Elliot, starting on November 19th, I, I would imagine uh, the, the, the year hasn't gone the way it, uh, you know, anybody thought it would go. Uh, you didn't think four months in you'd be into a pandemic. But when you first came in, was there a plan? Was there a 100-day plan, a one-year plan, a five-year plan? Did, did you come in with, with some ideas like that? Yeah, so I came in with the expectation knowing that whatever plan I thought I had or whatever I presented – um, was probably what wasn't going to happen in a normal year. And so that mindset was my saving grace. I mean, um, didn't save my hair color, but I, I will tell you <laughs> that it, um, it, it helped me think outside the box. And it actually, it helped me um, listen, right? Like um, part of, of trying to get whatever I thought I was going to get done here was, was, was uh, incumbent upon my ability to listen um, to, to our leadership. You know, we have a great board of trustees uh, 
we have phenomenal leadership in President Scott and her, and her team. And, and um, you know, I, I would say that I've, I've been given more than I've even asked for in the sense that there's just been, uh, you know, endless support, endless support and availability um, to discuss the plan. So I know I knew that the plan needed to be multiple. It had to it had to be ever changing. Um, but I also knew that, OK, I needed to study as much as possible now that I was boots on the ground to decide what made sense. So I did put together an 120 day plan. So a four month plan, um, not knowing that a pandemic was coming. Right. And and that four month plan, I'd say the, the last two months of it. So first uh, first and second month went extremely well. A lot of the planning has been uh, been uh, put together. Uh, we were actually getting ready to launch um, a new giving campaign and uh, we were all ready. And so the pandemic afforded us an opportunity to take a second look at that, um, focus on this fall for some opportunities. So we've been, we've been able to go back to the lab to do some more uh, research and development and, and figure out um, how to really uh, document some of those outcomes. So we've tracked well. Um, have we gotten 100% of everything we want to do done? No. Um, but we became a Nike school. Um, I think that was major. Um, we, we, did, we created some internal process controls, did some, did some amazing things uh, that we just had to do financially. Um, we went ahead and took a look at our, our goals uh, for the next five years. We went ahead and, look, and looked at our key operations and said, what's missing? What's stopping us from becoming a major uh, competitor in the Division One landscape? And then we took a, a look at our relationships, some of our relationships across the city and in the state in the region and across the WAC, and we said, how can we uh, do a little bit better or different? And um, we did those things broadly. Women's basketball also got a new coach in Tiffany Sarden. What made her a good fit for Chicago State? You know, I think uh, as opposed to going down her resume, I, 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 can, I can say this. Uh, Tiffany Sarden has a great outlook, prognosis on, on, her, on her career. You know, um, just knowing Tiffany hadn't, having a chance to run across her at, at Clemson, um, she carries herself in such a way that, that commands nothing less than whatever you got, right? Um, she meets you where you are in a conversation. She doesn't break eye contact. She's not quick to make decisions. Um, if she knows the answer, she's always willing to listen. Um, and those are the intangibles. Those are things that take a lifetime to learn, you know. Uh, uh, and knowing that about Tiffany, I knew at the end of the day, as we look to restart our business, almost like entrepreneurs, it was, it was important to have somebody with that type of mindset, somebody that was willing to build from the ground up. Uh, the pedigree, though, is incredible. I mean, when we talk about CPL Hall of Famer, uh, someone that went on to the University of Virginia to, to letter, um, you know, every year that she was there, and on top of that, uh, be a three-year captain, speaks uh, volumes to just where she came from and, and how she's evolved. Uh, looking at where she's coached um, and looking at her mentors and those that recommend, re recommended her for this job, I mean, that along with the, the deep dig on the metrics of what she brings to the table just made her one of a kind. Um, and it was an opportunity to continue some great momentum that we had, some great energy in the program uh, with someone that we, we were fully behind, someone that we know can get it done. Well, last week, a story came out from the NCAA that November 25th is a potential start date now for uh, Tiffany Sardin and for Lance Irvin and the basketball teams, which I know there's been all kinds of Zoom calls, meetings between ADs and commissioners. And so wh where does that put you guys to let uh, people know the, the schools schedule their own non-conference schedules and then the conference does the, the conference game. So this, uh, I imagine everybody's trying to figure out, okay, when can we play and when do we play and where do we travel and who do we have come in? Is that, is that what uh, you and your basketball coaches are doing right now? 
Yeah, I, I think I think we've been sitting there trying to pontificate on the outcomes, like what's going to happen. I know a bit of it's out, outside of our control. I think one thing that um, I haven't heard discussed enough popularly is uh, state restrictions and quarantine, um, how that will affect non-conference and conference play. Our bubble is realistic. Um, I know that everybody's looking at budget cuts. Uh, so as we've been planning, you know, I, I know one thing that I that I here haven't planned for was a basketball bubble in some state, you know, miles and miles away. So the question is, at the end of the day, non-conference, right? Because that's the starting point. And for us, nominal impact in the sense that it's two to three games uh, before the 25th. Um, but obviously, we have some revenue targets, things that we want to hit. Uh, but but the number one concern is about the the travel. We kept our non-conference schedule. Um, we kept it pretty pretty regional. We were local. We were lucky in that sense. Um, but there are some outliers that are complicated by by um, just the news that's coming out. And I, you know, I, I think not to go on and on and on. I think there's a broader concept about our model, our model, and how we are going to conduct even conference play or NCAA tournament play. I think this is a great year to try something new and different. Um, and maybe there's an opportunity um, to look at regional partnership amongst conferences to execute um, conference tournaments, conference play. Uh, in the maybe first couple rounds, the NCAA tournament, um, and more of a regional approach, similar to what you see in, uh, in, in other sports, uh, Olympic sports in the NCAA. Can you give us a little sneak peek of what the men's and women's basketball teams are looking like for the season? Oh, sneak peek. So um, Lance Irvin did a phenomenal job in the offseason and in, in, in bringing in some, some talent. Uh, we, we do have some really athletic players that have joined our squad. Uh, we're super excited about that. Our guard, our guard play should be super dynamic, but, you know, I don't want to steal Lance's thunder. Uh, we obviously haven't released our schedule yet, but some great games um, that we are going to help our fans get to, right? We're going to create some awesome opportunities for them to watch and engage uh, in those games. And on the women's side, uh, we, we have some, some, some phenomenal signees uh, that have joined us. Uh, we have a brand new staff. And so uh, it's just it's looking like we're going to have really dynamic and athletic play. Um, and, and, and I, feel, I feel very confident that there'll be an uptick in the excitement around the programs for this season. We're talking with Elliot Charles, Director of Athletics, Chicago State University. Elliot, you recently tweeted about the passing of uh, legendary basketball coach John Thompson and also mentioned you, you went to his camp. So what, what kind of an impact did Coach Thompson have on your life? Oh, well... I would say, you know, so I was uh, an AU basketball player, played high school ball um, at Tampa Catholic and Tampa Prep down in Tampa, Florida growing up. And for me, you know, I had a, a, a colleague of mine now, a friend of mine back then, uh, Erjom Hayes uh, at the NBA, who uh, we decided one day, he was my former grad in high school, hey, let's go to uh, Georgetown, let's go to John Thompson basketball camp. Um, for me, I wanted to go to Georgetown at the time. And so that was important for me to see the campus and see what it looked like in that part of the D.C. area. Um, but then John Thompson, I mean, talk about a legendary figure. You know, uh, talk about somebody who stood tall, somebody to give uh, just a, a positive aspiration, somebody to aspire to be like. Um, you know, I will tell you, my only interaction with him during that camp was me leaving the restroom uh, in the hallway as he was walking in. And I was thinking, my gosh, he's, he's so tall. That's uh, a big man, right? And he had the towel on his shoulder, just like he always did. And he addressed the camp. I think the head coach at the time was Coach uh, Escherich, uh, Craig Escherich, uh, uh, Coach Escherich at the time. And um, it was just interesting. It was interesting to see how all of it came together. Now, um, Patrick Ewing, I remember, randomly showed up to the camp. There were some college basketball players from around the country working at camp. And, uh, and then the, the last piece that I remember is Patrick Ewing Jr. was one of the campers. Um, and so we, it was a smaller camp. 
but just again, what John Thompson meant, right? John Thompson represented um, very, very visibly on TV positivity. I remember um, the story of Allen Iverson and him recruiting Allen Iverson to go to Georgetown and the track record that he had with graduating players. And it was just, it was just something that, that to me was positive all the way around. And it, it had me rethinking uh, what, it, what it would take to go to college and, and the track record that I needed to establish to, 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 to get to where he's at. I mean, I just wanted to be around him, you know? Switching gears now from basketball to track and field, track and field program also getting a new head coach in Paul Zavala. What does he bring to Chicago State as well? As, I mean, I know we talked about the two other coaches, but what does he bring? And what may be different than anybody else? Well, I think Paul is a, Paul is a big-time personality guy, high, high energy. Um, and, you know, I want to thank, you know, Benedictine for, for letting us have him, you know, uh, I think at this time, Paul was a major grab for us. He was familiar with the university. He's a Southsider. Um, and he just, he represents diligence. I mean, like Paul, Paul is just a ball of energy and he's going to get it done. You point him in a direction and he'll knock two walls out. You know, I, I just think that he came in uh, with a plan on how to continue some of the successes um, that were left here by, uh, by Coach Collins. And um, he, he did a great, he's done a great job so far in, in continuing it. Uh, He's commanded the, the respect of, of his colleagues and the team, and he's just he's, he's doing a phenomenal job. I don't know what else to say about him. It's just like you got to see him in action. He's, he's great. He's phenomenal. The, the uh, last coach he hired, I, I believe, was Tony Trifonov, Trifonov from, uh, for your volleyball team. With, with these new coaches, Elliot, uh, is there a common trait maybe between all of them that you think will, will get Chicago State uh, pointed in the right direction? Yeah, I think um, I think they look inward first. They look inward first um, uh, to lead, and uh, you always hear you always hear about their introspection before you hear about their needs. Um, so you actually have a a, a a glimpse at their vision of what they're trying to get done. Um, I, I think the, the 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 phenomenal thing about all four of those coaches that are new is that they're also very open minded. Um, they're not overly committed to one way of doing things. So uh, I just think at the end of the day, you kind of need that hard hat approach, um, uh, doing what it takes to get it done, but in a collaborative way, knowing that, you know, they know they can't get it done on their own and that they, they want their efforts to be amplified through partnership. So uh, I think at the end of the day, they're, they're, all, they're all here to, to, to work uh, together um, to, to really get the end game accomplished. They all think they can win here. Right. Like I should have started with that. They all think they can win here. And, and that that's that's the key um, a thread upon all. Well, Elliot, thank you so much for hanging out with us and taking some time out of your busy day. I'm sure uh, your schedule is pretty full. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I guess we're all just running around trying to figure this thing out. I know you guys as well. So I definitely appreciate taking the time with you guys today. It was, it was, it was pretty amazing. That is Elliot Charles, Director of Athletics at Chicago State University. When we come back, we're going to have Rachel's interview with Gia Pack this week, right? From uh, New Mexico mm -hmm. State, now playing overseas. You're listening to the WAC Podcast. Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. Rachel, you had a chance to talk with Gia Pack, the outstanding former New Mexico State 
women's basketball player, three-time uh, first-team All-WAC, and what she's up to now. She's up to playing professional basketball over in Slovakia. She had uh, her agent be able to hook her up with a contract over there during a pandemic. And she had talks about her travel. She talked about the difficulties being away from home and the differences between basketball in Slovakia and here in the United States. A great conversation. You're definitely one I'm going to stick around and listen to. What's up? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So you are eight hours ahead of us here in Denver, Colorado. So it's like seven o'clock there at night, right? Yes. So what did you have for dinner tonight? Uh, I haven't eaten dinner yet, but I will uh, probably make like pasta or something, chicken pasta. Okay, very nice. Is that one of your favorite meals? Yeah. Okay, very nice. Well, Gia, thanks for taking the time, obviously, to hop on and hang out with us. I hope you're doing well. I know it's a big transition for you to go out to Slovakia. So what's been like the hardest thing you would have to say? Being away from home. My family, I'm very family oriented. So when I had got here the first few nights, I was just crying, crying just because I was just homesick, you know, but that's just, that's been the hardest part for me. Um, everything else has been good. Like uh, they have been very welcoming and just, you know, they know I'm away from home, hours away from home. So they just try to include me and stuff and stuff like that. But that's just been the hardest part is just being away from my family. What have you been able to do to hopefully stay connected to your family? Work out. Well, oh, to stay connected with my family. Yeah. Um, time, uh, calls. Um, what else? Uh, just text here and there. And I mean, that's pretty much all I can do is just FaceTime or call, text. Very nice. And when you got the news that you had signed a professional contract over in Slovakia, what was the first thing that went through your mind? I'm a professional basketball player, um, everything that I've dreamed of. So when I got that call, I was really excited. And then when I got here, I was excited. Uh, I had to do a couple of tests and stuff, COVID tests, and then just um, checking my knees, checking my body. Um, and so it didn't hit me until the next day I went to practice and I was happy. And then I got home and I was lonely and I was just like, oh, my God. But I knew this is where exactly where I was supposed to be. So, you know, I just took some time to just finally adjust and enjoy uh, this new, um, I guess, chapter in my career. So how have you dealt with learning with the language barrier? Because obviously they don't speak a whole lot of English out there. So what do you kind of have to do to be able to communicate with your teammates and your coaches? Um, sometimes I got to explain further into detail what I'm talking about uh, so that we both understand each other. But they, they pretty, for the most part, they speak English, just broken English. But we have a, a coach that actually uh, translate um, during practice sometimes because my coach would forget like she's speaking in her language. But uh, just by her making hand gestures and movements, I know what she's talking about. So it's not really tough for me to understand or or grasp what she's saying, but uh, sometimes it's just like, okay, what did she just say? But um, I have teammates and uh, a coach that that translates every every time she talks and stuff like that. But for the most part, it hasn't really been really big hard for me to understand what they're saying. How was the flight getting out to Slovakia? I believe it's a twelve hour flight from the New Mexico area, correct? Yes, it it it's, uh, it was probably like all together. 14 hours because I had to take a flight to Chicago, which was like three hours. Then I took a flight to Zurich, uh, Switzerland, which was like, that was the longest flight, probably close to eight hours. 
And then I took a flight to Vienna, uh, Austria, which was probably an hour, hour and a half. But then I had to drive to Piastani. So where I'm at right now, I had to drive. So it was like an hour and 45. So it was just tiring. That whole day was just, it was just, I had uh, probably two or three hour layovers in between. So it really took more than just the 14 hours, but um, it was really, really, really uh, just tiring, but I was excited. So I didn't really pay much mind to it. How is it traveling internationally during a pandemic? What kind of, what did you have to do? Anything different than normal travel? Uh, I mean, I had to show uh, documents. I had to show my contract and stuff just so that they know, because Switzerland wasn't letting any U.S. travelers enter. So I had to show that I was going there work-related, so basketball and stuff like that. So um, that was pretty much it. And then uh, they served us breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, that was the cool part. Um, it wasn't too many people on the flight, so I had a lot of room to just stretch out and just enjoy. Very nice. Got the full yeah. row to yourself, right? Yeah. Nice. Well, how have you noticed any changes between the game of basketball out in Slovakia compared to here in the United States, if there is any? Yes, it's a big. Uh, so I so I was talking to one of my uh, friends. She played overseas in London, and she was just telling me, um, "You kind of got to forget about American basketball. It, it, it's a totally different type of game. I mean, basketball will always be basketball. You know, you go out there, you play with stuff like that, but." Just the way that they, uh, like, it's just certain um, plays that they'll do that's different or it's certain uh, certain uh, meanings that they have to certain things that I would think is this type of meaning, but then they'll explain it in a different way. So it's just like, it's like, it was one time I was in practice and I helped on the strong side. So I helped on the side the girl had got beat and my coach was like, good job, Gia, but she was like, don't help on the strong side. Just just let them get beat. So I was like, dang, that's a lot. That's like when we practice at NMSU, that was like our main thing was to just hedge and then go back over. But with them, it's just like you, you're kind of like – it's not like you're out on the island on defense, but it's like you kind of got to hold your own. Like it's like the only help you can get is from the weak side. So it was just – just me having to adjust to how they play and, and uh, they're just very fundamental and, and uh, they're solid. They know the game of basketball from a different perspective than I know it. So I try to just, when I'm in practice, just learn and adjust. And even when it's something that I want to do, but I can't do it, I just still, it, that's just all about discipline. My coach, she's about discipline. She, she wants you to to first understand where she's coming from and then like in the game, just go ahead and do what you do. So for the most part, it's been, that's only the, 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 the biggest difference i say is just the way they see the game, I guess. But other than that, I mean, it's still basketball. Gia, I want to talk about your time at New Mexico State next. What is by far your best memory from there? I'll have to say the group of coaches, the group of teammates. I mean, that's why, I mean, now I'm kind of looking at it like just enjoy every moment because, I mean, once you're done, you're done. You know what I mean? So you, you all you have left is those memories. And so just every time I'm practicing, I'll think of them and I'll just, I mean, that's just the main 
the main thing is just the bond that I've built with my coaches and my teammates and just enjoying that process. And so now it's just kind of different for me because it's a whole different team. So I have to re readjust and re re uh, recreate bonds with, you know, the teammates and stuff like that, the coaches. So I'm working and I'm doing it and it's getting better every day. So, but I have to say just, Especially and and the fans. I mean, the fans were really great. I mean, just just making me feel like I'm at home. That's what I miss the most. And so, I mean, it's a lot I can say about New Mexico State, but for the most part, just the whole thing. I guess I can say just the whole thing. Everything about being an Aggie. Uh, have you have been able to keep in contact with Coach Atkinson? Has she given you any advice? Yes, uh, we talk all the time. When I was going through my little breakdown over here, she would just text me, Gia, you're there for a reason. Um, you're, you were great over here. I'm sure you're going to be great over there. Just, you know, talking to me and just real positive. And uh, I tell her that condition is, it is just the worst part about the practice. But at the same time, it's getting me better because, you know, I was out with that ankle injury and um, I didn't really have much time to uh, get myself in the shape that I needed to be. So the coaches over here, they understand that. And I just been every day just running and getting myself in shape and just being ready to play at that next level. How is the ankle feeling? It's feeling a lot better. Oh, my God. Uh, over here, they make sure you're, you're you know, they give you the proper treatment and stuff and, and uh, it, it's like New Mexico, but it's kind of more advanced because they have this uh, cryotherapy machine where you just go in and it's like, it's real cold. So it's like, it's, it's not like an ice bath, but it's like, it's kind of worse than the ice bath because your whole body is getting numb. And so uh, they just have different treatments over here that uh, I feel kind of help with my ankle a little bit better, but so far, my ankles, my knees, my body, is everything is just feeling good. What is one thing that you would have taken from New Mexico State that has kind of transferred over into your professional career, you would say? Say that again. Sorry, you kind of broke up when you said. You are totally fine. What is one thing that you've taken from New Mexico State in your basketball career there that is now kind of transformed into your professional career? Um, enjoy the process. Trust the process. Um, Coming in a freshman at New Mexico State, you know, it's just like over here coming in uh, a rookie over here. It, it's the same idea. It, you know, you got to prepare. You got to train. You got to be ready for whatever they throw at you. And so um, just kind of taking that in a positive light and, uh, you know, just, uh, just enjoying the process. I mean, I'm not going to be here for long, so um my time being just enjoy it just have fun just be the same player that I was when I was at New Mexico State but better so um just enjoying the process trust the process well Gia we obviously here at the wa the WAG wish you the best of luck in your professional career and we can't wait to see where you go after this as well so thank you so much for hopping on and hanging out with us today thank you thank you for having me Rachel, a great conversation with Gia back. Very insightful. I mean, she's she's very open about uh, what what it's like playing overseas now. Very open, very honest. We love sitting down and talking with Gia, and she always wants to come back and hang out with us at the WAC. So we appreciate her hopping on with us. And that will do it for this week's WAC podcast. Thanks for tuning in and hanging out with Eric Danner and I. We'll talk to everybody later. Thanks for listening to the WAC podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at waxsports.com.